Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray, him, George Belshaw, also him, Calvin Beton, calling from overseas. Uh, we'll hear more about Calvin's adventures a little bit later on. Uh, but we've got loads to get through today, despite there not being a huge amount of tennis going on in the world. Uh, we'll talk about Alexander Zverev, of course, and the latest developments on him. Uh, Cam Norrie, uh, he's been in action, as has Yannick Sinner. Some British doubles success out in San Diego. Uh, Emma Raducanu announcing a little bit more about what she's doing for the rest of the year. And yes, it's the hot topic everywhere. It's vaccinations. Um, but there really is only one place to start, um, given that we're recording this on Monday night uh, and the news broke just a couple of hours ago, really, uh, regarding Alexander Zverev. And I wanted to start with it today because I know that we rushed it a little bit last time and uh, it's an important topic. Uh, let's just get the facts straight from today. Uh, Zverev has um, had an investigation opened into him by the ATP, an internal independent invest, uh, sorry, an internal investigation. Uh, whether it's independent or not, we are yet to find out. Um, but it's just a result of an independent uh, investigation into the whole safeguarding that the ATP is responsible for. I'm just going to read you Zverev's statement. He says, I've always been in support of the creation of an ATP domestic violence policy. Moreover, I welcome the ATP investigation into the matter and have been asking the ATP to initiate an independent investigation for months. As stated before, I categorically and unequivocally deny any of these allegations. Um, if you're not aware of the allegations, I would implore you to, to well, if you just search Olya Sharapova, um, or you really go on any of our social media feeds, you'll see the two interviews she's done, one in the uh, Slate magazine, and I can't remember the other magazine that carried the other interview, George, if we're really bad. Originally? Yeah, the Racket magazine interview and then Slate. Um, the allegations that the ATP are investigating are specifically the Slate ones. They regard the Shanghai Masters in 2019. Um, Olya, who who was Alexander Zverev's girlfriend at the time, and she's no longer... Uh, she says that she was physically and emotionally abused by Alexander in a whole number of ways. Um, the specific Shanghai allegations regard um, her, him essentially 
she says, attacking her in the shower, um, punching her, holding her by the throat, telling her he he hopes that she would commit suicide and all sorts of other horrible allegations, which Zverev has repeatedly and and strenuously denied. Uh, The ATP, uh, the CEO, Massimo Calvelli, has said, the allegations raised against Alexander Zverev are serious and we have responsibility to address them. We hope our investigation will allow us to establish the facts and determine appropriate follow-up action. Um, this comes with a whole host of other recommendations from the, the independent inquiry, but George, I really want to just kind of drill down into this Zverev thing a little bit. Someone asked me on Twitter, and, and I don't know the answer to this, but Olya also made a series of allegations about um, some goings-on at the Labour Cup in Geneva, and I don't really understand why the ATEP investigation is only looking at this specific incident and not all of the allegations at hand. Good question. I, I, mm. to be honest, I don't. I don't one hundred percent know the actual the answer to that. What, what I was going to suggest that Shanghai Masters is under ATP auspices and Labour Cup is less so. Well, I was, I was going to say, what year was the Labour Cup drafted over to the ATP? Was that twenty nineteen? It's a good question. I, I can't remember the exact year. It presumably was twenty nineteen. Um, mm. I, I would have thought both would be um, under their jurisdiction, given. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was the only possible explanation I could have. I mean, one suspects that the investigation will take in the whole thing, won't it? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, look, the investigation, as far as I would imagine it to go, would be about bringing, bringing the game into disrepute full stop, which, as far as I'm aware, doesn't mean it needs to have happened, particularly at a tournament or something. I mean, that would be a pretty low threshold for sport, for athletes in a accused of domestic violence if they could only have committed it while like on the pitch or on the premises mm. I mean, that just isn't really what these investigations are supposed to be kind of um covering really um so I, i'd imagine it will be a fairly full in-depth look um it's it's been it's been a strange process getting to this point um James will say, I texted him last week saying I'd heard this is happening and we can expect this news to kind of come out um, this week. But there was surprise when I was told that, that it had taken this long and there was a little bit of confusion about what had kind of prompted it. Um, obviously, they've said today that the safeguarding review was completed. Um, there were whispers last year that, for example, Mary Carrillo quitting her commentary position on the Labour Cup might have influenced things. You know, it was that sort of idea that things were getting to such a toxic difficult point for the organization that people were taking public stands against it um that they felt there was no action another choice um i don't know the ins and outs of all of it but i think we can all agree this is what we've wanted to happen um Mm. we we know we all believe well i think we all believe that you know she shouldn't have to go through a, a court process where the threshold is so high and you know it's so notoriously difficult to prove these sort of allegations in a court as well as being quite traumatizing and damaging for the victims to go through it um that these bodies as with any place of work have a right to kind of look into um the allegations has he brought the game into disrepute it'll be interesting to see i don't know how involved she'll be there's not really much details at the minute um obviously i kind of hope she is involved because i think it'll be very difficult to prove or at least put forward a case that would reach that threshold without her being involved um 
but yeah this is what we wanted from the atp and it's just a bit of a shame it's come about a year too late to be honest but progress i think what there's more to come actually with Vasilashvili and save off wild because this, this has to be the thing going forward really yeah for people who don't know uh, nikolos Vasilashvili is involved in a very high profile case um in georgia his home country uh it's kind of national news there and has been for a couple of years involving his uh, ex-wife uh, claiming that he attacked her in front of their young son. And yes, this week there's been some allegations lodged against Tiago Seboth Wild um, by his ex-partner. Um, quite serious uh, abuse allegations, which he denies. And then Vasilashvili, I should say, also denies these allegations, but is involved in a, a long a long trial. Um, the reason I wanted to kind of challenge this first and come to it first was because to me, it is the most important story of the year in tennis. Forget the Golden Slam, forget Roger's knee, Rafa's foot. I mean, this because this really matters. Like, I think it says so much about tennis as a sport because, let's face it, tennis had a bad pandemic, you know, in terms of image. You know, we saw in the UK footballers actually managed to turn into kind of social activists and legends. And, you know, Marcus Rashford became basically the leader of the opposition. And, like, tennis players did the total opposite and became the leader of the idiots. And... I just think that with what's going around, these allegations flying around, whether they're true or not, it's important that we get to the bottom of it because otherwise it's so damaging for tennis. And, you know, Alexander Zverev is not a particularly popular guy, even out with all of this and has a certain image and he was involved in some, you know, taking his shirt off in nightclubs and that sort of thing uh, and the rest of it, which, which kind of makes him a pretty unpopular figure. And I think it's really important that tennis kind of stands up and now there are three guys who are playing on tour regularly I mean Sabath Wild I guess isn't playing at any sort of level um, but there are three guys who make a living as tennis players who have really serious allegations against them and I think the ATP tour have realised that you can't really have you can't have them doing what they're you know playing tennis when potentially they could earn like millions of dollars while having been guilty of this if they eventually get found guilty yeah and I use this phrase very lightly because there's nothing good that comes from this sort of abuse. But what the only positive thing that's been coming was sign of progress for the ATB is that you know, someone put it to me this week that their their processes for this sort of thing is about 30 years out of date compared to other international yeah. sports. So this was something that needed to be addressed. Obviously, don't want the incidents to happen in the first place, but the ATP weren't equipped to deal with this a year mm. ago. It shouldn't have taken them a year to get to this point. It's pretty embarrassing the way they've addressed this for me um, or, or haven't addressed it. You know, I think they brushed it under the carpet and prayed it would go away. And, yeah. you know, Ben deserves a lot of credit. Ben Rothenberg deserves a lot of credit for, you know, keep going, chiseling away at this um, and other people who've kind of voiced their concerns and yeah. kept the conversation going because I'm not sure we'd have got to this point had it just... Uh, been down to the ATP themselves, we say. Calvin, are you, you know, I know you're a, a, a not just a tennis fan and not just a tennis coach, but also a, a sports fan and, and someone who, who's widely read. Are you surprised that tennis has fallen behind on this stuff and has dealt with it as poorly as it has? Um, I'd like to say, yeah, I am surprised, but I'm not. Um, and as I was saying in the WhatsApp group before WhatsApp went down, um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I struggle to, and this may be this may be a criticism of me. I struggle to get too much into this story because I still I just think there's an inevitability that it'll just get swept under the carpet, and it shouldn't be. Um, but 
as we were discussing earlier, I, I don't... Alexander Zverev seems a little bit too comfortable with this whole thing for me. Um, you'd think he'd be a bit more concerned and a bit more sharp on it, but he seems to think that he's getting away with it, whether that's just ignorance or he knows something and whether this will just be going through the motions and then saying, we don't have any evidence to be able to do anything and everything just carries on as normal. And then they can go, well, we did actually carry on and carry out an inquiry. Um, I'm just skeptical that that's what the ATP are doing. I hope I'm, I really hope I'm proven wrong on it. Um, and of course, I'm not saying he's guilty. You can't say that, but again, it, it happens a fair few times, doesn't it? He keeps on happening to the same guy. Um, mm. So, but yeah, that, that's the reason why I, I sort of I struggle to get too engrossed in it and and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah it's it, it's embarrassing for the sport. There's no question. I think like the thing is for, for like months or you know even a year we've been kind of calling for the ATP to do this investigation um, because it's the only place it can really go if she doesn't want to take it a legal challenge to court which you know as I kind of outlined earlier is like a totally fair position for a domestic advice um, advice domestic abuse victim. Um, yeah, the conviction rates are shocking because yeah. because you have to prove beyond all reasonable doubt. It's very often a he said, she said, she, she said situation, and and it, it's very difficult to convict in criminal courts. And you know, in the UK, this this conversation has been had about violence against women so much in the last couple of weeks, uh, and you know, in in much more serious. And you don't like to rate these things, but you know, in very serious circumstances, and it is why women tend not to take these things to court because. They don't believe in the system. And why would you? Like the numbers don't make you believe in the system. Yeah. And, you know, so the, the, the positive, and again, I'm using the word positive as lightly as possible, um, for me is that, you know, we, we're at a point where we can at least have this system without that threshold. But the, the big caveat, which Calvin's alluding to here, if she doesn't get involved in this investigation then i think you're right and then it, it is going to be quite an interesting point beyond that if he if he's kind of said you didn't do it he's going to run around and say i'm totally not guilty this doesn't happen um and i don't know i mean for me personally i think you know from the work ben's done and the way he's set it out and the bulk of evidence that he's put forward um i think to me i don't Say you accuse him, you know, convict him on the internet because that's very, that's unfair. That's not what should happen. But you know, Ben has listed a load of evidence, and he wouldn't have been able to publish this without pretty strong evidence. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting how, you know, it won't feel like a line under it. I suppose in many ways, if if it's just this kind of sham investigation. So hopefully, we get something proper. I think they'll have to at this stage. I don't think. In, they can call an independent investigation and not be done pretty thoroughly. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll just have to see where it goes. Perhaps I'm too optimistic. <laughs> I, I mean, the only thing I'll say is, you know, it's like I don't just don't get this thing with sports stars. And, and football, footballers did handle themselves well over the pandemic. But let's not forget there's currently a footballer um, involved in, if it's possible to be much more serious allegations than Alexander Zverev at the minute in Benjamin Mendy. Um, yeah. But I don't get it with these sports people. Like, what are they doing? Like, what's like Alexander Zverev? He should have the world at his feet. Like, he's a great-looking lad who can play tennis brilliantly. 
Like, how is he getting himself involved in these type of situations? It's just, if if it's true, it's just proper dickhead behaviour, isn't it? And there's nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think if we start opening the can of worms as to why people hit their girlfriends, goodness knows where we're going to end up. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, it's, you know, when you said there is a footballer currently involved in a very serious case that actually had a number of names running through my head, which I guess probably tells yeah. you all yeah. you need to know about sports stars at the moment but um i guess the, the kind of final thing i want to say is i hope something comes of it that will maybe stop it happening because it's all very well saying let's create a system of accountability where we can kind of punish people for this but maybe the atp need to look even further and say well look if we've got three of the top 150 uh, currently have allegations against them in domestic abuse that's not a very that's quite a high percentage of professional tennis players getting involved in these situations or committing these crimes if indeed they have been committed. So maybe the ATP needs to take a look at a few things, just not just a domestic violence policy, but their own education. Um, maybe we should draw a line under it there before we actually start libeling anyone. But you will hear more from us on this, no doubt, and hope we hope to hear more from the ATP. Uh, let's move back onto the tennis court, which is you know why we're all here in the end. Um, and to San Diego, uh, not a place we've been talking about having tennis tournaments for quite a long time, but a 250 down there with a, a very good lineup indeed. But a surprise final, certainly in terms of Cam Norrie. Uh, he, a list of results he will be very proud of. He beat Dan Evans, the British number one, beat Denis Shapovalov in straight sets, uh, beat Andre Rublev as well in the semi final, who said he didn't know what to do uh, against Cam Norrie, which is pretty high compliments, even from Andre Rublev. Um, but he was beaten in the final by Casper Ruud for just two games. Uh, George, which side do you fall on? Were you just pleased that he made the final or disappointed that he didn't give a better account of himself in it? Um, yeah, I mean, you have to be a little bit disappointed with 11-2 scoreline. You know, Norrie really shouldn't lose by that scoreline to anyone, or the Norrie who's been playing this year. Um, but in terms of him losing, I mean, Casper Ruud's in really good form. Um, I think he's now won the most titles on the ATP Tour this season, um, won five of them. Um, I think only Djokovic has been in more finals. Um, he's been in six, I think. Um, yeah. You know, obviously Djokovic is winning more significant titles and we did have a little poke at Rude when he'd won those three clay court titles in a row that no one was playing <laughs> Um, yeah, did he? So, did he clean up on the post Wimbledon clay court season? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean that really that really is the Carabao Cup of the tennis season, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but still, if you look at his run this week, he's beaten Murray, who we've spoken about is playing pretty well. Um, I actually thought Murray would have a good chance in that match, um, and it it wasn't not close. It was two tight sets, but a pretty solid performance from Rude. Then gone on to beat Sonego, who's actually having a pretty decent year, last couple of years, uh, Dimitrov, um, and then thumping Norrie, who's, as you, you know, spilled off the list he'd already taken out. So, you know, he's in a position to be, well, he's in a great position to be at the ATP finals at the end of the year. And I think, I think he'll walk into them at this point, won't he? I mean, yeah. it'd be amazing if he didn't make it, I would think. Yeah. I think it's good for him in the sense that, you know, he's been a bit of a victim of some of like the Kirill jibing about you know can only play on clay no one cares sort of thing like who are you um so you know he's he's come out and proven he's a, he's a top tour player um whether i think he'll be winning a slam next year i'm not going to rush into anything like that but <laughs> he's putting himself in the positions to get ready and have chances so that's that's good for him 
Um, Calvin, uh, we, we've kind of said the same thing about Kaminari for quite a while, which is that he's tremendously fit. He's got a bit of an old backhand, but he doesn't really have any weapons. I mean, he, he is now getting to a point where he's pretty... He's, I think he could well be, with a decent set of results this week or the week after, become British number one. Could get pretty close to the top 20 in the world. I mean, is it conceivable that a guy like him could be a regular in the top 20 in the world without, as you say, any particular weapons? Um, well, I don't know really because he's, he's, you wouldn't have thought that he could have got this far. So um, <laughs> it's surprising that he's going to be in the top, if he makes the top 20. Surprising that he's 23 in the world. So there'd be no point in me going, no, I don't think he could be a regular in the top 20 because six <laughs> months ago, He'd be 23, I'd say no. So yeah. If you'd have asked me, could he be top four? If, if like two years ago, you'd have asked me, could he be in top 40? I'd have said no. And he, it's, you know, he's, he's tremendously gritty. And the one thing I think, as I was talking with Luke, who I'm here in, in Prague with earlier on, we were talking about like what's changed in his game. And I don't think anything's necessarily changed, but confidence in yourself can make a huge difference. And also confidence that your opponents see in you that they suddenly start seeing him beat people so now whoever he plays next is now going to see that he beat Rublev last week so that puts a bit more pressure and and you know he might have made everything just one percent better but because of the confidence that he's got and the message that now, that now sends to opponents he's now playing as a top he's legitimately one of the top 20 players in the world this year. i'd say he's probably one of the top 15 players in the world this year if i'm perfectly honest mm. I mean, he's 14th in the race, so, you know, that, that tells you a lot. Yeah, that, that's just what I was going to say. I mean, like, the idea of him being a I top... I knew that, by the way. I was just trying to say... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But the idea of him being a top 20 player, I mean, he, he pretty much is. I mean, to be sitting that high in the race at this stage in the year, like, if, if not been, like, 14th in the race in April or something, I'd be like, OK, he's having a good few months, but I'd expect that to tail off and still end around 30. But... Now you know you'll do quite well to drop out the top twenty from here. Um, so yeah, it's pretty crazy turnaround because I, I, I was pretty sure his ceiling would be thirty-ish. Like if yeah, as high as I saw him going, to be honest, like a year or two ago, um, mm. and he's completely blown me away this year. <laughs> what I will say on it is that he said this is not to be derogatory of Cam, who, who I like, and, and he's a very good player. He's one of those classic players who, if he was right-handed, probably wouldn't be in the top 100 in the world. <laughs> and that's the difference that, that the left-handed makes. It, it really is. And he's a classic left-handed player. Um, he's a real classic left-handed player. He gets the swingy serve. He's got that sort of loopy forehand that you don't, you don't get any right-handers who have that type of forehand. But there's a few left-handers who have that type of forehand, like, the other, what's the Japanese I call it? Nishioka. Mm. He's got that type. And there's somebody else who I forgot. But right-handers wouldn't be able to do that because then you're going like kind of slow-paced forehand into the into the other guy's forehand. Um, so it, it, it really is. It's no criticism of him, but that, that sort of thing fascinates me. That I, I always say that Nadal, I think if Nadal was right-handed, he'd have probably five or six slams. I don't think he'd have 20. Um, <laughs> I think that's a big thing. It's going to wind a lot of people up. I'm a huge fan yeah. of that comment. I don't know how, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we get to the parallel universe where we could prove that or not. But <laughs> 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 how many slams would Djokovic have if he was left-handed by Calvin? Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, I mean, that wow. would be terrifying. Because well, then his arm wouldn't be dropping off, right? Because he's got that genetic predisposition in his right elbow. I don't know. Um, 
But just, Calvin, I want to ask you, because it's always fun when you get British guys playing each other in events. Evans and Norrie have played each other a couple of times this year. I mean, I know Evo is an incredibly competitive guy and hates losing anyway, but I imagine he will really hate losing to Cam. Yeah, I think so. And I think probably, I don't know this, this is just me speculating, but I imagine he probably still wound up that he let Cam back in at that Battle of the Brits thing last year that I still maintain was nonsense. Um, that, that, but he, if you remember the first one, I think he might he definitely beat Cam once, and I think he might beat Cam twice in it, and it was pretty comfortable. Mm. And then I think in the second one, then Evo, maybe his head wasn't on it. It was a bit of a joke event, a um, lot of nonsense on the sidelines and that kind of thing, and Cam beat him. And I don't think Evo's been able to beat him since then. But <laughs> that's the type of player that I think that, that Evo is the type of player that those type of left-handers just are a nightmare for, because you're, you end up having to hit high one-handed backhands, and Evo's not that tall, you end up yeah. having to hit shoulder-high single-handed backhands time after time after time, and you can't do any damage on it because you've got no pace to divert. You're going to go back cross-court probably, that's into their four, and you're going to get the same thing again. And So, yeah, on that basis, it's a terrible matchup um, for a mm. lot of players. Yeah. Um, we look forward to matchups. We're in a frustrating position where we can't talk about the draw uh, in Indian Wells, because it hasn't happened yet. There is a women's draw party. That's what they're calling it, a draw party uh, tonight. And then there is a men's draw party tomorrow night. Uh, my, my editor was asking me, when's the draw for Indian Wells? I sent him the tweet from the BNP Paribas Open account. And I said, I'm forced to assume from this tweet that it's tonight and tomorrow night. But equally, I don't know what a draw party is, because I assume they're not in person. Um, there's also been a, a good week this week for Yannick Sinner. We talk about lots of titles this year. I believe that's his second of the year in Sofia, uh, his fifth career title uh, in all. He, he's just turned 20. He's finally not a teenager anymore. Um, George, a good time for him to be refining some form after a bit of a difficult summer. He will almost certainly be at the ATP Tour Finals in Turin, I think. He's 10th in the race and... Nadal is one of the ones ahead of him, so he should make it in. Um, where do you kind of put Sinner at the moment in the, the kind of grand scheme of things? And, and is he a threat in Indian Wells? Yeah, I think he's a threat in Indian Wells. Um, he was a finalist in Miami earlier this year. Um, I think Hardcourt's his best surface. And crucially, there's no Djokovic there. So there's going to be someone's going to be squeezing their way through that's you know, not a big three player because none of them are there. So, yeah, he's definitely capable of going far. Um, I wouldn't say he's necessarily a, a certainty for the 85P finals just yet. Um, you know, there's still, this time of year is always a bit funny and you always get someone who goes on a random run around that kind of 12 mark who can push themselves in there. But you'd expect in a, this should be a pretty good time of year for him where he'll pick up a decent amount so of so as I as I make it, there's basically two spots up for grabs because Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipas and Zverev are all in, guaranteed. Rublev and Berrettini are there or thereabouts. And there's then a 1,000-point gap to Rude. So I would think those six are in. And yeah. then you've got really any of two of Rude, Hercat, Sinner and Orger Aliassim, although Felix has got quite a lot of ground to make up. No, you would I think that... With the tournaments coming up, Sinner would fancy himself. I'm just going to say this because I don't think it's going to happen, but you have to, with a, with a big event like Indian Wells still coming up, you have to include people 
a little bit further down the food chain. You know, if Norrie can get a final at Indian Wells, for example, that will be a, a pretty massive... I mean, it's still only going to... OK, I put him in the conversation. But... Put him in the conversation, that's what I'm saying. And then you've got this swing of tournaments that always happens that can yeah. shift it slightly. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I'd expect Sinner and Rude to be the guys to, to get in there realistically. And I think Sinner is the one that organisers will be most keen to get in from here because... This is its first year in Turin, and you'd really like two Italians in there. That would be very good, um, particularly yeah. one who's been a Grand Slam final and the other one who's seen as one of the big future stars of the sport. So I'm pretty sure they'll be quite keen for Yannick Sinner to be uh, getting over the line as, as best as possible. And maybe they'll be asking someone else to pull out if he doesn't get there. To... <laughs> if he's there as a hitting partner, just just sitting in the stands with a few a few darts. Um, Calvin, I know you you predicted a big year for Sinner because you picked him in our uh, in our little challenge. Um, assuming he, I mean, assuming he makes the World Tour finals and let's say gets to the semis, would you say it's still a disappointing year? He got to the fourth round of the French and the fourth round of the US, um, and he's going to be, I think, up to maybe sixteen in the world. Although I'm not quite sure about that. Is that would you expecting better from him? It's been a strange year for him, I think, in that he's kind of got to that stage where he started dominating the players outside of the top 10, maybe. And mm. he's he's having no impact at all against the guys in the top 10. He's had a couple of close-ish matches, I think, but we're only it's a year ago this week, I think, that he beats Zverev at the French. And really, he was on top of Nadal in the, in the next round, uh, in the quarters of the French, I think. Mm. Quarters of the semis. Of the French, and this year in that regard, I think he's 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 become more consistent in his all-round performance. But he's definitely I, I, there's an element that think makes me think that the top guys have figured him out, and mm-hmm. he's got an A, he's got his A game, and I don't know if there's much left after the A game. His A game is he's going to absolutely leather the ball. Um, but I think they've figured out that he's he's an all right mover, but he's not the best mover. Um, he doesn't really like defending. Um, and he doesn't have the most skills in the world. So I think the top guys have kind of figured that out. So it'd be an interesting year for him next year, um, see where he goes. Um, the only other thing I'd say on that is that, uh, James, you put this list, sent this list to us in our WhatsApp group the other day of guys who have won the most, at, uh, was it before they turned 20? Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. And Sinner has won five. And I think I've seen this list before, and it always blows my mind that Bjorn Borg won 18. Um, <laughs> Two of which were Grand Slams um, and another Grand Slam just after he was 20, which always, and I maintain this, that this kind of stuff fascinates me, that, that Bjorn Borg must be the best teenager at anything ever. I can't think of any, anyone who was any better. Like, it, I mean, it, almost any gymnast. Simone Biles. Monica Seles was but, pretty good on the women's side. So yeah, that. that's a fair point. But Rafa Nadal, so, was Rafa Nadal specifically at clay court tennis? Yeah, but I don't know if he was better than Nadal. Than Borg was at clay court tennis, though. Yeah, that's true. That. It was. I think what we're talking about the difference between Nadal and Celes, I'd say, is that Celes to a lesser degree, but Nadal Bjorg was dominating tennis. He wasn't. You get guys in other sports. You get like LeBron James was a great teenager, and Kobe Bryant was Wayne Rooney, that kind of thing, and and Messi even to a degree when he's nineteen, I guess. But they were very good at their sport, but they weren't absolutely dominating it. Whereas Borg was comfortably and by a distance the best tennis player in the world when he was still a teenager, and mm-hmm. Nadal was kind of still going with Federer on that. Celeste did have a period, to be fair, although Graf was still around. So, um, but yeah, 
there's that. Just just going back to Sinner quickly, I think if you'd asked Yannick Sinner if he'd be a top 10 player by the end of this year, would that be seen as a good year? I, th- I think definitely would be a yes. If you'd asked him, would it be a good step forward to qualify for the ATP finals? That's definitely a yes. Um, but I think Calvin's right. I think next year is the one where you have that springboard. You know, he'll, he'll go into the ATP finals thinking he can win it. I mean, it's one that Djokovic has in the past done really well at, but not for a few years. Mm. I don't want to say random guys are winning it because they're certainly not random, but it's, it's never been someone wins it and then goes on and dominates the next year of tennis. Well, have we not had five different winners in the last five years? Yeah. When you think of Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, Dimitrov, uh, and then I guess Djokovic. Djokovic um, yeah, so it's, it's generally been, yeah, you're right, a bit of a different one. Um, just to kind of back up what you were saying about top 10 players, Calvin and, and Sinner, He's in the last in the last year he's played nine top ten players and he's lost eight of them. And the only one he's beaten is Andre Rublev. And we have specific thoughts about Andre Rublev, especially on clay in Barcelona, which is where he beat him. So kind of backs you up there. Um, but yeah, he should he should be in the ATP finals. He's currently number 14 in the world. Might go a little bit higher than that, depending on what happens. At this, year, at this stage of the year, I'm only looking at the live rankings now. There's two the, the ATP ones are they don't matter now. Like it, it's all live one, and he's what is he eight on there or nine on there? Or he's nine. Ten, nine. So it's it's a bit of a strange top ten at the minute in that regard. So the few players in there who've got terrible records against other top ten players, like Berrettini, <laughs> I think's got a terrible record, hasn't he, against yeah. other top teners? Nadal has got a shocking record. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Nadal's got a terrible one. Rublev has got a terrible one, and I think it's like I'd, I'd love to know why that is. Like, is it because? Is it because there ten, there's tended to be more players from outside the top ten making the latter stages of the big tournaments? So your Berrettinis, yeah. so I'm pluralizing a bit here. Your Berrettinis and your <laughs> Rublevs, your Berrettini uh, Rublevs, yeah, are making the latter stages. Cal- um, but yeah, it's strange, really strange. Calvin, Calvin's doing his absolute best to wind up Nadal fans there. I can't believe you said it's <laughs> strange top 10 and then included Nadal as a strange player in there. <laughs> Someone who's barely been out of it for about 20 years. With his 20 grand slam. Well, I think this is probably a record for the last month or so. We've made it nearly 40 minutes into a podcast without mentioning the name Emma Raducanu. So well done, everyone, on that one. Uh, We've beaten all the tabloid newspapers and, frankly, all the broadsheet newspapers because she has been the biggest story in British tennis for some time. Uh, We've got a better idea of her plans for the next couple of weeks now. She's um, confirmed her schedule. She's obviously out in Indian Wells at the moment, training in the desert. She'll then head to Moscow for the Kremlin Cup, uh, Transylvania for the opening Cluj, and then Linz in Austria, assuming she doesn't make it into the WTA finals. I mean, just for starters, going from like the California desert to the Kremlin Cup to Transylvania, I, it just sounds like an amazing schedule. It's not exactly like, you know, Eastbourne, Queens, Wimbledon, is it? It's uh, quite something. She's clearly got half an eye on the WTA finals um, by doing this, you know, which it, we, because it's not a good schedule. You know, there's a hell of a lot of air miles in there. Um, and she's going from outdoor in the desert to indoor up in Moscow. Uh, George, is she literally just trying to push for the WTA finals here? Yeah, definitely. Um, she, I don't see her playing Moscow in 
to Transylvania if she wins Indian Wells, for example. I think right. if she goes and wins that. I don't know this, uh, but I'm just that would be my guess. I see it as like if she goes out quite early Indian Wells because I, th- I think she only needs something like two or there's only like a 250 point gap to close. Um, well, yeah. So so just to kind of fill in the the gaps on that, um, there's obviously going to be. Ash Barty, we think, is not going to play WTA finals. I think she she's top of already. Place. I think she or- hasn't quite kind of said it because, uh, but I all but um, and Naomi Osaka, we think almost certainly won't play WTA finals either, and they're one and eight in the race. So tenth place in the race is what we're aiming for, and Raducanu is, as you say, she's actually less than two hundred points off that. She's only one hundred and fifty points behind Elise Mertens. The problem is going to be. Actually, at this stage, not points, it's places. She's 15th. So she's got to outperform five other players there. Okay, Jess Pegula, Coco Goff, Alina Svitolina, Anastasia Pavlichenkova, and Lise Burtons. It's not an easy group of players to outperform, to be fair. No. And, uh, you know, I think, again, we were kind of talking about the ATP wanting uh, Sinner to make it. I'm pretty sure the WTA would be quite pleased if Coco Goff <laughs> and Radicanu could sneak their way into that event because. The guys who are at the top of this list are not really as strong performers once you take Barty. Well, they are strong performers, but I mean, in terms of getting Big eyes screens. You know, I don't you think Barbara Krajikova pushes the needle out for the You know, it, they're good, really good players who've had really good years and totally deserve it, but I'm pretty sure they'd be quite disappointed if they lost Osaka and don't get one of like Radikar and Goff in there. Um, yeah, and Barty doesn't play, so yeah, I'm I'm sure they'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, I think Emma's got a great chance, really, because why not? She should be entering Indian Wells with great confidence. She can go and win it now. Um, and I mean, I don't know why she doesn't buy a lottery ticket every day. She should have confidence that that everything is going her way. Absolutely, and I'm also very happy because even if she doesn't win Indian Wells. She'll be remaining in the public psyche for another four weeks, helping me catch Rihanna at some stage. So. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to mute you. Uh, Calvin, don't rise to the bait. Um, instead, tell me something about Jeremy Bates. He, he is out there with Katie Bolter, who he coaches full time, and he is the latest man to be given the temporary role of Emma Raducanu's coach. Um, I mean, for people who don't know Jeremy, kind of tell us a bit about him and, and what he's up to. Uh, he's obviously former British number one, uh, very decent player. Uh, he's worked almost... Actually, he was British Davis Cup captain uh, about 15 years ago. But since mm. then, he's worked almost exclusively with women. Um, and he's the national... He's head of women's tennis or something like that for the LTA. Um, yeah. He's worked with Radicana before. I've seen him on court with her quite extensively from when she was sort of 15, 16 um mm. she's always like like we keep saying a lot of people think she's come from nowhere she hasn't um she's been known as a very good player for a long time so the national head of women's tennis was spending quite a bit of time on court with her a few years ago and always has done ever since so it's not really it won't feel to them like it's a a new situation if you will it'll just more of a continuation but having said that most most national coaches in Britain will have worked with Emma Raducanu at some stage or another, been of varying degrees from taking her on national trips to spending time on court with her. I think if you take into account all the coaches who she has worked with and all the coaches who've claimed that she's worked with, I think probably <laughs> I'm, 
I think I'm the only one who's neither. <laughs> and that is our claim to fame. It's going on the podcast header. The only man who's not worked with Emma Raducanu. And we've got him. The exclusive... Or claim to. Or claim to. Or there's claim more to. of those. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think that's important, though? I mean, it, it seems significant when you look at taking Andrew Richardson out to the US, someone who knows her very well. Jeremy Bates, as you say, has worked on court with her before. Is it at this point just, just familiarity, especially because she's away from home again? Yeah, listen, I mean, the thing is with going to tournaments, there's often not a great deal for coaches to do. The work is done in the times in between. And it's yeah. important for for players to have a coach with them at tournaments for things like being being comfortable with reviewing their games, reviewing their matches after sometimes that kind of thing. And if you've got the odd sort of two or three days off where there's just practice. But in terms of like, like just going to matches when you're going to be winning them and that kind of thing, it's not a huge. It doesn't make a huge difference. It's just somebody who you, who you feel comfortable with, or you enjoy being around. So, Kelvin, I'm enjoying you giving this speech about how important it is to have coaches at tournaments with your player in within earshot in Prague. It's, you can <laughs> he's not he's it. upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute freebie. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> um, George, I, I don't know how much gossip you've heard about the Emma Raducanu coaching roundabout. I can't imagine much because it seems to me that perhaps they're not even interested in getting someone in this year and maybe just wait until after the next month or so and deal with it then. I think the bigger issue is that not many people have an in with the Raducanu camp for this gossip to be filtering through at the moment. <laughs> the, um, yeah, look, now I, I think, to be honest, the people making the decisions aren't going to be the ones... Uh, broadcasting it to other people um <laughs> so i think we'll always be a bit on the back foot i mean it's not my job anymore i suppose so it doesn't really matter that i'm on the it back is george foot. you're the love tennis podcast correspondent for gossip it's an important role that, that'll be a pretty good pretty good scoop to bring in if i can drop drop the coach in <laughs> next week um i'll do my best but yeah look i i think We've kind of spoken of it before. I mean, I don't. See, I kind of see her maybe as a little bit like Chelsea at the minute. I don't see them changing this formula of chopping coaches as much as they want as long as they're winning. Um, so that's kind of. I'm not, I don't want to compare her dad to Roman Abramovich, but that's uh, that's kind of where I'm seeing him at the minute in terms of their output. So I, I'm not sure Jeremy Bates will be up for this job. For the long run, I wouldn't have thought it'll last beyond Indian Wells, to be perfectly honest. I know it's only a little temporary thing at the minute, but um, yeah, I wouldn't expect a firm new coach in before the end of the year based on kind of her recent past of coach hiring. Um, I, the only, in terms of inverted commas, gossip that I'd heard was that they were probably going to be looking at a Spanish coach. That's good. I mean, that's that's strong. I mean, that's much stronger that's, than anyone that's else. That's good gossip, Calvin. That's very good. Yeah. And given <laughs> given what's been said before, I think I can infer a few things from that. Is it? Are you saying that they? It, it's a Spanish coach you've heard a name of, or they're just desperate for her? To no, I've not, heard an, I've not heard a name. No, I've not heard a name. Just um, that I was told. I don't know how legitimate he was. He probably came to me like fourth. Chinese whisper <laughs> down the line. Um, <laughs> Started um, Uruguayan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, makes a change from going Argentinian. That's the tends to be the trend, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing at the moment, isn't it? Evo and 
Evo and Cam Norrie, both of us working with, with Argentinian as well. Um, we await more updates on that. Um, George has maybe just got a text. I was just going to say, now, now I know it's Spanish. We've got to think it's Tony Nadal coming in, don't we? That'd be pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a pretty I'm like, headline. Let, I've got to make a phone call to my editor. We're going to need to change the back page. That's that's the story <laughs> we're having it. Um, we'll we'll find out her draw in the uh, next couple of hours live. It'll probably already be out by the time you hear this. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she gets a first round bye. That's my prediction. But she, she's a wild card, isn't she? So I think she'll have to play. She wasn't in on rank. No, she got seeded. Why wouldn't she get seeded? Because she because the rankings weren't done. They were no, no. The seeding, the seeding rankings. You are can not still be seeded. Oh, they pulled her in. Okay, all right. The, no, the seed, the seeding rankings <laughs> are different from the entry rankings. Oh, oh yeah. Fair they do the seeding rankings from the the Monday of, but the entry ranking is from the cutoff. That's so funny that it didn't even occur to me she'd be seeded. Um, yeah, because it's thirty-two yeah. seeds, absolutely insanely. Yeah, she wouldn't be. She's. I think she's going to be the number eighteen seed off the top of my head, um, because I wrote something about it earlier today. Um, but yes, I think she will. She will be seeded. So she got a first round bye and won't be playing until about Friday or Saturday. So um, we await with interest. Let's move on. Um, the ugly issue of vaccinations in tennis has reared its head once again. This week, uh, we expect that Australia are going to require double vaccinated or going to require you to be double vaccinated if you want to have no quarantine. Um, if you're not double vaccinated or fully vaccinated, I should say, because it might not be double by then, um, then you may have to do more quarantine. You might not be allowed in at all. Uh, George, I mean, how many players? I know it's kind of guesswork, but how many players are not vaccinated at the moment? Well, from what I've heard, it's definitely not guesswork at the very top of the men's game, and there's around 50% of the top 10 who aren't. Um, so that that gives you kind of an indication of some of the problems you're going to be running into on that side of things. Sissipas um, mm. is one who said he wouldn't, but has now said he's going to. So he's Mostly been, because he got absolutely slammed in the Greek media, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, Not to mention the international media, to be fair. Obviously, the the Australian press who are pushing this story a lot this week um, are talking about it in the context of Will Djokovic going. Will mm. the time champion go? Someone who's previously at least been hazy about whether he's going to take it. Um, I think if we call him a vaccine sceptic, that would be a reasonable thing to say, and no one can really argue with that. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's the framing. My kind of understanding on the situation at present is they could still potentially go, but would have to do the hard two-week quarantine. And I don't... Yeah, the really ugly one that all the people who got were on contaminated planes had to do last time. Yeah, so that I think that's going to be the state of play. Um, I don't see Djokovic doing that if he wasn't in the group that was vaccinated. Um, he obviously would have time to get sorted from now if that was swayed. If he's not done, which we don't know either way. Covering yeah. up here as best I can, James, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you've edged well there. Um, do, do, you, do you think kind of in a, in a short answer, do you think if it were a case of, uh, as we think it is, two weeks hard quarantine and no vaccination or turn up double vaxxed and and do your thing, that Novak would go, well, actually, I'll just jab here. I I, I would personally 
wager that I think the players who aren't vaccinated will at that point, the top ones I'm talking about here at that point, would suddenly find a very strong reason to go because you're also going to out yourself as not having it done if yeah. you're then going there and not hitting the practice courts every day and you're also at a huge hmm. competitive disadvantage. Um, don't get me wrong, I still think Djokovic could win in Australia even if he was after two weeks hard quarantine because he's just... I think he could win if you made him play badminton for a week. Before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how that unfolds because, yeah, it, it sounds like the people who make the decisions inside Tennis Australia... Kind, they were kind of fighting previously for uh, a bit more exemptions with tennis and have now basically been like, no, we, we're just caving and saying, if you're not vaccinated, then we, we can't help you, basically. So we'll see where that My goes. My instinct as well is that Novak never wanted to have surgery either, but when it came to have a tennis career and win Grand Slams again or, or don't have surgery and retire, he had the surgery. So I, I think he will probably find a way to offset it although I wouldn't like to try and get in Novak's head he, he only did that to prove Calvin Betton wrong after he did <laughs> yeah and, and and he has as we're all delighted um Calvin you're obviously functioning at a slightly different level but doing lots of international travel and um dealing with players and talking to players what, what's been the feeling at kind of futures level about vaccines I mean is it basically these guys livelihoods are, are kind of thinner and therefore they just get vaxxed and get on with it it's a mix, really. I mean, I was going to say there, I know a player who is going to Australia um, who isn't anti-vax and isn't vaccine, isn't even a vaccine sceptic. He was going to have it. but And I know people like this in tennis and in real life as well. I just haven't liked the aggressiveness of which they've been told they have to have a vaccine. And <laughs> he has actually had it now. He's had his first one now. But... And I don't want to say who it is. Uh, he's had his first one now with regards to going to Australia, I think. But, um, yeah, just they didn't like sort of being trying to be bullied into it. And I think if there wasn't that sort of pressure, he'd probably have had it ages ago. But he told me personally that he, he was just a bit offended by people being so aggressive with him, telling him he had to have it. Um, and then there are other ones as well, like Jeremy Chardy. He put that tweet out about how he had it and was ill and... Yeah, I, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but these guys, they don't have loads of money. They can't afford to be taking two weeks off and that kind of thing. And I think that worries them that they have the vaccine and they're going to get so a lot of this. If you're in futures, you get stung with withdrawal uh, fines and that kind of thing. And I think that's probably put a lot of people off. Having said that, I'd say probably, and this is a very sort of off the top of my head figure, that I'd say 80% of the people uh, playing futures and challenges that I know have had the vaccine. Hmm. But you, and presumably, I mean, you're in the Czech Republic at the moment. What was your arrangement with getting in? Did, did you, you personally have to be vaccinated to get in? No, they told us that the, the, the documentation, we had to print off huge amounts of do documents. Um, there was a waiver form to say why we were coming in. There was also a, a PLP form, a passenger locator form uh, that, we had to, that we had to print out. We were told that the phone wouldn't uh, suffice for any of those. So I spent a couple hours getting through all that before I came out here. And basically, when I got to the Czech Republic, I was way through without anything being checked at all. So. <laughs> I was just going to say, as a wider point, I think there's been a lot of tournaments where they're being very strict on crowds being vaccinated or yeah. you know, a lot of testing stuff. And there's getting a bit of unrest about, well, why the hell are the players not following, like being forced to do that as well if you're 
kind of running these mass events. So there's been a bit of pressure on a lot of these organisations to kind of, you know, fix up and put something in if you're going to be having that sort of rule for everyone else involved apart from the, the centrepieces. So um, let's put it this way, the 80% the figure Calvin's giving for futures is is not replicated at top tour level at the minute. It's far yeah. closer to 50 to 60%, uh, if that. Um, mm. so, yeah, and it's kind of happening across professional sport, right? We, we had a big story yeah, yeah. break in the UK recently that Premier League's clubs are potentially going to get, you know, preferential treatment if they've been vaccinated. Yeah, three um, current England squad, is that right, this weekend? Yeah, three current England players. Uh, I understand from a report from a very good reporter in the last couple of hours that um, FIFA are talking about scrapping their vaccination requirement for the World Cup, which they were going to have, but are now considering scrapping the requirement to be vaccinated. I mean, as you say, Calvin, I suppose to a certain extent, sports people don't like being told what to do in in any kind of form of, of life, whether it be medical or otherwise. And I suppose it's just, just what happens. And if I know tennis players, which I think I do by now, they really don't like being told what to do. I was just going to say on that point, I mean, like, I remember years, I'm pretty sure it was Conta years ago talking about um, kind of plastic water bottles and why she would never use a refillable bottle. You know, there was that kind of campaign. Oh, the microplastics thing. Yeah. And and, she was also talking about, well, I would never know someone would like tamper with my water if it wasn't a fully sealed thing. And like I'd fail a drugs test beyond that. You know, it, it is kind of some which is weird i'm just saying but some players can kind of go quite far so worried about everything they're putting in their body and they're so insulated a lot of the time just traveling in very kind of small knit clothes things that it's kind of not that much of a surprise sometimes that we're in i suppose so and they're you know they're trained to think well for start no needle policy is a big thing in, in athletics and now they're being told to put a needle in so that must be a little bit confusing these people some of them don't have very big brains i'm sure they can't handle multiple instructions um and yeah as you say if we're going to sit here and say when a tennis player gets banned for drugs and says all wasn't me or it was a mistake we say well you're an athlete you've got to know what you're putting in your body i suppose when when you then hand them a vaccine that that's quite new then they're gonna kind of obsess about it and freak out about it and say oh it's untested well it's not it's gone in like four billion people at this point it's not that untested um, but yes, I don't want to get stuck into like ins and outs of vaccination outside of tennis. It's important, though. Um, I think the last thing, George, is something you brought up quite recently. Um, when I say recently, it was in a Twitter group because our WhatsApp collapsed and then we don't know what to do. Namely, the Billie Jean King Cup, um, the sparingly named. It's it's the finals next month in Prague, I believe. Calvin's out there doing some scouting of the uh, the very best sports bars, and uh, um, I can tell you, Prague's an extremely cheap place to drink. It's my favourite place to go drinking. Um, George, the big news here basically is that a lot of the top players aren't playing. Is that right? Yeah. So I think there's only three of the world's top ten in it, and I also noticed. I think I couldn't see like Coco Goff down or anything. Um, you don't have that Redicana because Britain didn't qualify. Um, mm. So, again, it, it, this has been a long time coming, this first finals, because this was basically launched as COVID happened. This was one of the first events yeah. that was meant to be in Budapest um, uh, that had like kind of a big build-up about it uh, and then just never happened. And it's kind of now returned looking quite a decimated field. Um 
it's 12 teams, right? 12 teams, four groups, a little bit around Robin and then knockouts into, into the final. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure it'll be enjoyable and fun, but it, it is a bit of a shame that you've kind of, we've been going on a lot about how many men's teams competitions have popped up recently and why, you know, we'd like a women's one. Most importantly, we'd like a mixed one. Um, but for the field not to look particularly appealing um, for the casual fan, I think it's a little bit disappointing um, to try and get that off the ground. And I think particularly, I don't want to single out anyone, but I'm pretty surprised of the people who aren't playing, like Coco Goff's one of them who's not, um, just in terms of like, you know, really young player wanting to play for a country. Yeah. I don't really see her reasoning for not getting involved if, if, and that's a big if, if like the WTA and ITF have kind of done their job properly, which I'm, I'm sure probably isn't the case. Either. You know, the biggest surprise for me, and there may be something else going on here that I don't know about, but Carolina Pliskova is not playing. And like, surely, you know, this, this, there's quite a few incentives to play in that. And she's, she's not playing. And quite apart from being the world number three, none of the top three in the world incidentally are playing. Um, and all of their countries are qualified, which is pretty disappointing. Um, anyway, it's going to be in Prague. Um, it'll probably be quite good to watch. There'll be some quite fun tennis, I would have thought. Uh, three of the world's top ten will play. Spain looking very strong with Muguruza, Paula Bedosa, and Sarah Saribas, Tormo all there. And Carlos Suarez Navarro, which is just, she'll be a great cheerleader, if nothing else. Uh, Calvin, you're, of course, there doing some advanced scouting for the Billie Jean King Cup for us, uh, quite apart from coaching uh, Luke, who had an excellent week last week, and I'm sure you're going to take as much credit for that as you possibly can. Um, I can't take any credit for it, to be honest. I weren't there. Um, <laughs> so it's um, a running theme of Luke's season, isn't it? Uh, it's not a running theme. Because to be honest, he's made two finals. <laughs> and you weren't there for either of them. No. Um, but uh, yeah, last week he made the final of the singles and won the doubles. Um, so yeah, had a very good week. The week before that, made semis of a challenger as well um, in doubles. So he's had a pretty good couple of weeks. Um, yeah. So it's no surprise Calvin's really pushing this narrative of how important it is for a coach to be there because he knows <laughs> proof that it's the complete opposite of last week. Yeah, um, We're right there with you, Calvin. We'll believe you if you tell us. Although we've arrived in Prague today and uh, the club that this tournament is at, it's actually about half an hour outside of Prague centre um, mm. and the club has no viewing. So um if he's not on the first court i'm pretty much watching from like a side window over <laughs> another court and through some nets so um hey obviously yeah. just get on the smash for a week i mean really there's, there's <laughs> no you let, let luke go and do his thing take your temperature <laughs> and then just just leave it it'll be fine yeah, be a yeah. Problem. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but that's one of the things you never know with these these places if you are especially the indoor place the outdoor places you can always watch from somewhere but the indoors, mm. it's surprising really that only about 50% of indoor centres have viewing balconies. Yeah. Um, and if it's not for that, then um, you can't really watch much. <laughs> All right. Well, fingers crossed and best of luck to Luke as always. I'll tell you who is, play, who is playing the tournament this week, though, is um, Lucas Russell, um, who beat, beat Nadal at Wimbledon famously, and who Murray said, nobody likes you. Yeah, um, everybody hates you. I remember him saying that. <laughs> and not surprising today that because he came on while we were practicing today, he came up to Luke and asked if he wanted to practice on um, 
at 9.30 tomorrow morning and Luke said, well, I'm, I'm warming up my doubles partner tomorrow, so I already have practice. And he goes, yeah, but you won't be on the match courts. And Luke goes, um, yeah, but, you know, I have to warm my doubles partner up. He's like, right, on the slow courts then, not on the fast courts where you can practice with me. And it's a really strange vibe of like sort of half bullying and half salesman trying to sell this practice. Um, really odd. Really odd. Who is Luke playing doubles with this week? He's playing with a guy called Jakob Paul, who is a Swiss lad. Better than Lucas Rosal, clearly. No. <laughs> I remain permanently disappointed, Calvin, whenever you say, do you know who's here at this tournament this week? And it's not Skippy. I'm definitely. <laughs> For Skippy to come back, like <laughs> I think you want to hear. About. Well, you know, it's it's a, exactly a year ago this. It's exactly a year ago this week that Skippy made his debut. Um, Skippy in the Chechabal tournament. <laughs> I, I think legend. you might. Be, I think you might remain disappointed, George, if you're waiting <laughs> for me to say that Skippy's turned up at another tournament. Um, <laughs> uh, or played tennis. Again, I mean, that's the only time he's ever played tennis. <laughs> I was thinking that we should we should potentially try and get him on, um, but I think we wouldn't be able to resist taking the piss, and and I would worry he might go back and listen to previous pods and and hear just the amount of abuse he got. I I don't know. I'm just I'm fascinated by him as a man. For the record, for because we've got a lot of new listeners and they won't remember said you about last week skippy johnson is 45 years skippy chapman sorry is 45 years old uh luke drew him in the first round in portugal last year and beat him love and love calvin i think you were confident you could have probably beaten him love and love as well i i'm certain i could have beaten him love and love. <laughs> 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 um, i mean he served he did one serve to the juice court that went wide of the ad court <laughs> that's genuine i have that on video <laughs> um, yeah, he's quite a hero. He's I forget what his Instagram is, but his Instagram is down as a musical entrepreneur or something. And um he's an American guy who lived in Portugal. So yeah, quite a character. But well, you not- know what? He he had a dream and and he lived it and and Luke ruined it and just destroyed yeah. him. But you know, Luke Johnson, yeah. destroyer of dreams. I think that probably is a good note to end on. Um, WhatsApp might have fixed itself by now. Maybe by the time you listen to it, WhatsApp will have fixed itself and we can all get back to our normal lives. Um, please do give us a follow on Twitter, which never goes down, at uh, Love Tennis Pod. It means you'll get all the latest updates uh, and also know when the pod comes out. Uh, please do leave us a rating or a review wherever you get it. I know there's lots of you who are new and I hope you've been enjoying it. It makes a massive difference to us if you can leave us a rating uh, and or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, other than that, stay safe and try and enjoy yourself. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.